Hey, last weekend I was talking about the importance of choosing to be people who live with clean hands and a pure heart. I wholeheartedly believe that is the only healthy way to live life to the fullest. And it's also the best way to walk out life as a follower and disciple of Jesus. Clean hands and a pure heart are essential for living the kind of lifestyle that aligns us with God's original purpose and intention for our lives. And beyond that, it's a precious thing to God. Remember that, that word for pure, the first definition uh, is beloved. And I, I just want to throw out to us again. I mean, we've just been this morning just worshiping Jesus and blessing him and honoring him and receiving from him as he pours his life into us. And what, what an incredible thing it is to be blessed and loved by God. But I want to keep reminding us that we're created to bless and love God too. It's not just supposed to be a receiving thing. There's a giving thing in our side. And when we choose to have clean hands and a pure heart, when we choose to live that way, it's a precious thing to God. It blesses him. It's an opportunity for us to bless God and honor him. We make free will choices to live with clean hands and a pure heart. Not because, not because we're afraid of getting hit with a lightning bolt if we mess up. Because here's the truth, if that's the way God was, none of us would be here already. We'd have already gotten zapped and we'd be gone. And also, living with clean hands and a pure heart, not, be, not like grudgingly or because, well, I've got to or God's going to be mad at me and I don't want God to be mad at me. That's the wrong God. That's the wrong God. Instead, living with clean hands and a pure heart from a place of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you're doing, infused with a reverential worship and love and respect for God. Because of God's great love and mercy for us, because of what Jesus has done and is doing for us, and because of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we get to be people who actually can live with clean hands and a pure heart, even in the midst of a very broken and fallen world. Of course, living with clean hands and a pure heart doesn't happen by accident. It's the result of a series of choices articulated in an enhanced version of 2 Corinthians 7.1. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, doing the work and living a consecrated life set apart for God's purpose out of reverence for God. Perfecting holiness. Perfecting means to further fulfill. It's about being made perfect process. It's a perfecting holiness is not about perfectionist. Uh, being perfectionistic or becoming and developing an appetite for perfectionism and being afraid of making mistakes. All those may be well-intentioned, but they're misguided ideas because they cause us to pursue covers rather than walking in the light with God and other people. In her book, The Choice, Embrace the Possible, Holocaust survivor and now psychologist Dr. Edith Egger wrote, perfectionism is the belief that something is broken, you. So you dress up your brokenness with degrees and achievements, accolades, pieces of paper, none of which can fix what you think you're fixing. All of these efforts to combat low self-esteem actually reinforce a sense of unworthiness. Perfecting holiness may very well be a becoming process that we'll be involved in for the rest of eternity. It's the fruit of an active, ongoing relational pursuit with God. And that doesn't end with our last breath here. Amen. But while we're here, perfecting correlates directly to the things that we choose to do, as well as the things that we choose not to do. And each of those choices set the stage for holiness to be cultivated in our lives. 
From the very beginning, God created each of us to share in his sacredness. So in a very real way, holiness woos us into alignment with God's original intention and design for each of our lives. Perfecting holiness always involves choices. And according to 2 Corinthians 7.1, the first one is, let us purify ourselves. Now, more often than not, this Greek word purify is translated cleanse. And this is the same word that was used to describe the lepers after Jesus healed them. They were cleansed. So this is not some surface level cleansing. It's the same word that Jesus used when he told the Pharisees, cleanse the inside first. James used the same word in the fourth chapter of his letter, come near to God and he will come near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And in Ephesians 5, it mentions the cleansing that comes from being washed in the word. Washed in the water of the word. I think we underestimate the cleansing that happens when we experience that. Something deeper always takes place when we read the Bible, when we listen to the words of the Bible. Every time we meditate on scripture, every time we apply what we've read and what we've heard, something deeper, some cleansing takes place. When we're washed in the water of the word, it can happen as we're singing worship songs as we were doing this morning. It can happen too as we listen to and respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It can even happen when people pray for us. Yes. Got some friends in Fort Worth and the wife is going through some really difficult uh, heart issues. They've done multiple surgeries and he's been sending out prayer updates and prayer requests and, uh, to a whole group of people. And then as we get those, then a lot of times you get a request like that and then you type back a little prayer and send it. And uh, this week he sent back uh, a report. At the end of it, he said, and thank you so much for all of those who are standing with us in prayer. Thank you for the prayers that you've sent. I read those prayers, especially during the night watches when he's sitting up with his wife in the hospital and reading through those prayers that people have written. And you know what happens every time he does that? Something cleanses inside of him. Something washes inside of him. Those prayers wash him in the water of the word. And every time written and rhema words of God wash over us, there's a cleansing that takes place inside of us that opens us up to new perspectives and insights that keep us from living stuck in the confines of our past or our present circumstances. 1 John 1, 9 says this same purifying cleansing accompanies the forgiveness that we receive when we confess our sins. Again, not when we try to cover up our sins or now we try to make up for our sins, but this cleansing forgiveness comes when we confess our sins. It's a kind of baptism that does a deep cleansing work all the way to the very core of who we are. So let us purify ourselves. It's ultimately about a whole person cleansing. And with the shedding of his blood on the cross, Jesus not only secured this level of purifying and cleansing for us, but he also made it constantly available to us. It's always there for the receiving, but we still have our part to play. The pure word says we should be cleansed ourselves by our choice from all the evilness of sinful flesh nature. The message says make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts. Make a clean break from everything that defiles or distracts within or without. The passion says we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit. And then there's a footnote that says believers today must take an active and disciplined approach to spiritual maturity and living holy lives. Grace never removes our responsibility to be faithful to God. Grace empowers us to do what pleases him. 
me say that again. Believers today must take an active and disciplined approach to spiritual maturity and living holy lives. Grace never removes our responsibility to be faithful to God. Grace empowers us to do what pleases God. Paul's original readers would have understood this type of purifying and cleansing to be both a deliberate turning away from sin as an equally deliberate turning towards God. And to this very day, if you do one without the other, you cannot have lasting, sustainable change. If you just turn away from your sin, but you don't turn to God, you're going to find yourself back in sin. If you just turn to God and you don't turn away from sin, guess what? You're going to find yourself back in sin too. It's both. It's a turning away. It's a repenting from the sin and a turning towards God that creates lasting, sustainable change in our lives. Originally, Paul was exhorting his readers to no longer participate in any cultural pagan temple activities and or feasts. Although we have different cultural enticements today, the key word defining what needs to be avoided is pagan. And listen to this uh, sentence I found in dictionary.com. Today, pagan can be used in a neutral way to refer to a person whose religious and spiritual beliefs center around nature or the earth and various deities associated with it. Don't be deceived. There is nothing neutral about pagan behavior or belief systems. And just to press the point a little further, here's a spectrum of neutral words that are associated with pagan. Witchcraft and idolater, agnostic, atheist, Skeptic, scoffer, free thinker, unbeliever. None of us can afford to dabble in any of these various kinds of mixtures with the ways of the world and the spirit of this age. Nothing about any of them is neutral. All of them are antagonistic to us growing in the ways of God. Like the original readers in Corinth, we need to totally disconnect from any and everything that looks in any way like any and all of these actions, attitudes, and worldviews for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is our participation in any of these things gives the uh, demonic legal access into our lives. So here's something about the devil. He is the ultimate legalist. He, he's always messing with us, always trying to get us think. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus that covers and protects us. But when we step into one of these areas and we open the door and we think, well, it's just a little door. I'm just, it's just one little thing. When we open the door and make access into something that uh, dishonors God, the enemy comes in and takes advantage of that, takes root. And very rarely does he just come by himself. You might sit like, I'm, I'm just sitting one plate at the table. No, he's coming and taking the whole table. So we can't afford to open ourselves up to any of these things. It, it seems like, oh, just, it's just a little. No, there's no such little. We're either walking in the light or we're walking in the dark. And when we choose and we take a step into the dark, we open ourselves up for a different level of attack, more than we realize. And it can be some serious work to get all that out. So it's just much easier to keep that door closed. I've told this example before. We have a, a courtyard at our house and, and uh, we have a lot of deer that come through our front yard. And we have a gate on our courtyard. And we have, uh, right now it's all winterized and gone, but usually there's lots of plants in there. If we leave the gate open, just... Well, the gate's always closed, but if we ever leave it open, you know what happens when we come out in the morning? They've eaten, they've eaten out a lot of what was in our uh, courtyard there, you know? But all we have to do is keep the gate closed. Just keep the gate closed. And that's the exhortation here. Just keep the gate closed. In the pure word, Paul introduced this whole purifying, cleansing idea with three musts. 
You must come away from the midst of them. You must be separate and you must not touch the, immoral, the morally impure. In Greek, these must are all intentional choices. Come out means to depart or to escape. And that never happens by accident. Be separate means setting boundaries and limits and if necessary, even to divide from. Do not touch means do not attach ourselves to or fasten ourselves to and specifically do not get set on fire by things that are morally impure. Every time we keep these three musts, there's an affirming witness in our spirit from the Holy Spirit. He says, well done, well done. This is the way, walk in it. Stay on the straight and narrow path. Every time we don't, I think there's a check in our spirit from the Holy Spirit because God loves us too much to let us just walk freely into error and delusion that comes with compromising our faith. It's so important. You're looking at something that you, and, then all, and, and it's, it's not right on the straight and narrow. The Holy Spirit, if you'll listen, the Holy Spirit will say, don't go that way. Now, a lot of times it's a whisper. It's usually not, don't go that way. Most of the time it's, don't go that way. It starts like that. Maybe we take a step into it. And then somebody comes into our lives and they go, you know, that's not a good way to go. We take another step. Somebody comes louder. I mean, you keep walking that, you're going to hear the loud one. But I think there's never a moment when we veer off to the left or the right from the straight and narrow that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us and go, that's not the way. Come back, come back. And just as quick as that, oh, I repent. And I come back in and you're back there on the path. Don't get off on the access roads and hang on those side roads. Let's stay on the main road that he's got for us. And the Spirit will help us do that. Perfecting holiness, doing the work. God's salvation is a free gift, but once we've received it, we've only just begun. That's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. As it says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. In the, in the Greek, this uh, word for work about what God is doing is a word that means active, effective, efficient, and fervent work. That's our God. That's our God. He's actively involved. He's effective in the things that he does. He's efficient. He doesn't always take the long way around. Sometimes he just goes straight at it and gets it done. And he's fervent about it. He's giving it. It's not like, oh, well, I got to work in those guys' lives. Yeah, I'm getting to work in my sons and daughters. That's the work that he's doing in us. And our working out our salvation is one more tangible way that we can be in partnership with God every day. Perfecting holiness involves doing the work and living a consecrated life set apart for God's purpose. In addition to making purifying and cleansing choices, a real dynamic of the perfecting, uh, perfecting holiness process involves living in and intentionally walking a, a life that's set apart for God. The pure word says, continuously by our choice, complete holiness of spirit. In the passion, continue to make the development of holiness within you. Continue to complete the development of holiness within you. And in the message, it says, let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Ezekiel 47. I'm going to be there in just a second. Ezekiel 47. The development of holiness within us, perfecting holiness, is rooted in growth and progression and flow. There are many ways to stay actively engaged in this work, and I'm going to talk about uh, some more of those in the next few weeks. At this point in my journey, one of the things that I found to help facilitate the perfecting of holiness and that process and make it my reality is what I've come to recognize as repeated choices to stay 
in the river, to stay in the river. In, in Revelation 22, as the new heaven and new earth were revealed to John, he saw the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street in the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I think it's significant that this life-giving river flows from God's throne right down the middle of the street. And I believe that's an open invitation into an on-earth, as it is in heaven, experience. That river that John saw in Revelation 22 had also been revealed to Ezekiel many years earlier. In fact, in 573 B.C., in what Ezekiel described as the 25th year of exile, and then he said this, at the beginning of the year on the 10th of the month. That, that detail caught my attention. I mean, I know it's just January the 8th, but we're the beginning of the year, and it's right there on that time frame. So in the 25th year of exile, at the beginning of the year on the 10th of the month, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel, and in visions of God, he was set upon a very high mountain, and he saw a man whose appearance was like bronze, and the man said to him, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to everything that I'm going to show you. What followed was several chapters of detail about the restoration of the temple, which as it turned out would still be 50 more years into the future. And then we get to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, and he then brought me uh, out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. And as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. And then he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and he led me through water that was up to my waist. And then he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see it? Son of man, do you see it? I really love this passage. It's one of my favorites. It's kind of a life first passage for me. Uh, it has been and continues to be an instrumental uh, part of my pursuit to live as a wholehearted worshiper of God. Uh, the river flowing from the throne of God. Throughout the Old Testament, we have lots of chapters filled with details specifically related to worship at the tabernacle, the temple. And I believe they give a pattern of progressive revelation for personal and corporate worship that draws us and moves us toward God. With the temple, it starts from a place of celebration and then it moves on to preparation and purification and consecration. We kind of walk through many of those steps this morning. I don't want anything else. Just give me Jesus. Though we were, we, as we were singing together, we were just moving toward God, all of it leading to a place of open communication with God. And each of those steps and actions position us so that we can experience Hebrews 4, 16 over and over again throughout our lifetime. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here in Ezekiel 47, a flow dimension of progressive revelation is highlighted and emphasized. From the banks of the river, Ezekiel was led into the ever-deepening flow of the river. From ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep and finally to a place that was deep enough to swim in. And I believe this is an example that speaks directly to the journey of perfecting holiness. Each depth has its purpose, 
its reason and its season. And I believe it's in our best interest to step into the river and to keep moving away from the shore and to stay there as much as possible. I do think there is a mind-led version of Christianity that can be experienced while standing on the banks of the river. It includes a a real born-again salvation experience that does lead to heaven after death. But it's a walking out of salvation that misses and often resists most of the on earth as it is in heaven moments that I believe God wants us to walk in now. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That order is important. He didn't say, love the Lord your God with all your mind, something else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That leads me to believe the best way to live out the Christian life, the spiritual Christian life, is to be heart-led by the Holy Spirit. And when we're heart-led, I don't think we'll be able to stay on the banks of the river. Once we step into the river in a variety of different ways, the key issue that we'll face and have to deal with over and over again is surrendering control. Surrendering the control of our lives. Now, ankle deep, when you're ankle deep in the river, you can feel the river, but the truth is, you're still pretty much in control. You can go where you want to go. You can do what you want to do pretty much in the same way you could when you were standing on the bank. The water's just shallow. Your feet are getting wet now. But other than that, a lot of movement, a lot of choice. That all looks pretty much the same except you're getting wet shoes or wet feet. But as we keep moving deeper, we have to let go of more and more of our autonomy Knee deep, we're starting to be able to really feel the more of the pull and the flow of the current. Waist deep, we're in an even more influenced and vulnerable place. And as we keep going, we get to the place where we can no longer walk. The only way ahead is to swim because of what Ezekiel said here, because the water had risen. Now, I've read this passage many times, but I was working on it this week. That phrase caught my attention. I said, I wonder what that word risen means. Now, in Hebrew, this was a unique word for risen. Usually the word kum is translated risen. It means to rise, to rise, or to stand up. But here, uh, Ezekiel used a very distinctive, unique word for risen. It means to gloriously grow up, to mount up, and to be majestic. This was a different kind of water rising. To gloriously grow up, to mount up, to be majestic. And it occurred to me that the more of our control we surrender to God, the more glorious and majestic He becomes to us. The more of our control that we surrender to God, the more glorious and majestic he becomes to us. Because now it's no longer thinking, look what I did. It's like, look what God did. Look what the Lord has done. And we just start seeing him more and more and more and more, which brings us back to the question posed by Ezekiel. Do you see it? Do you see it? I believe an essential part of the perfecting holiness process requires that we stay in the river. And I think the deeper, the better. Not my will, but yours be done is a natural heart cry for our lives when we're dwelling and remaining and abiding in the river. And all the more so when we're in a place where we can't stand up on our own. So much easier when we're in over our heads, say, not my will, but yours be done, God. Then when we feel like, oh, I've got this, I can handle this. You just sleep over there in the boat, Jesus, I got this one. But when we're in over our heads, not my will, but yours be done. It's a more natural response. And, and the do you see it question puts the ball back in our court. We get to choose. Shakespeare said to be or not to be. But when I thought about this, I thought really the question is to see or not to see. Will we see what God's doing or will we not see what God's doing? We can be as close to and as deep with God as we want to be. And interestingly, Jesus said that when we believe in him, 
streams of living water from this river will actually flow within us. And he also said that staying part uh, and staying in part of staying in the river comes with hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Well, when Ezekiel got back to the bank, uh, he was told that the waters from the river flowed through the valley and through the desert before emptying into the Dead Sea. And when it did that, the river made the Dead Sea water fresh. That's a picture and a reminder that there is nothing too difficult for God. His river flows through valleys. His river flows through deserts. And wherever it flows, it brings fresh water and fresh life. In our lowest places, as well as into the places in us that are dry, stagnant, polluted, even dead, God still brings life, fresh life. Amen. Listen to some words from the song Perfectly Loved. When I was leaving church last night, uh, this was on the radio, and I thought, oh, I got to say, I got to share it in the morning. Even when you were running, even when you were hiding, never been a moment that you were not perfectly loved. When you barely believed it, when your eyes couldn't see it, every single moment, you've always been perfectly loved. That's our God. That's our God. Ezekiel also noticed that where the river flowed, there were swarms of living creature because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. We need that river to flow inside of us. Where that river flows inside of us, things come to life. He also saw fishermen standing on the shore fishing for fish of every kind. And that reminded me of Jesus' original invitation to his first disciples. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Today to be come follow me and I will make you fishers of men and women and boys and girls from every tongue, tribe and nation. And that offer remains open to us. And the deal is we're not just supposed to stay in the river ourselves. We're meant to catch and invite others to join us in the river. Ezekiel also noticed all kinds of fruit trees that bear fruit every month. And their fruit will serve as food and their leaves for healing because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. I just want to, again, bless us and thank the Lord for what we get to experience week in, week out here in worship together. There, there's something that flows into our life, a fruitfulness that come into our life as a result of what we experience worshiping the Lord together because the water from the sanctuary flows to us. It reminded me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They're like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And that brings us right back to let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, doing the work, and living a consecrated life set apart for God's purpose out of reverence for God. Our choices to deal with and get rid of anything that contaminates any part of who we are is an important part of the perfecting process. And Jesus modeled a kind of holiness that points us towards living as one set apart to and for God. Jesus' kind of holiness is about relationally living in harmony with God. It's not a holier and thou thing. It's living in harmony with God. And to help us do that, he sent the Holy Spirit to work in us and to dwell in us. 
And the Holy Spirit is busy about the work of renewing our minds, changing the way we think and see and perceive things. The Holy Spirit is busy about the work about transforming us from the inside out, changing the things that we used to desire, that used to be attractive to us, that used to steal our attention away, changing the attentions and the affections of our heart and focusing them and persistently conforming us more and more so that we look more and more like Jesus every day. Perfecting holiness involves repeatedly choosing to live in a place of joyfully submitted reverence to God on the days we get it right as well as on the days when we miss it. And the more we do that, the more we live in a joyfully submitted reverence to God, the more something else happens inside of us. Our confidence in God grows. We find ourselves joyfully submitted to him, glad that he's in charge of our lives, glad that our lives are in his hands. And as we choose to stay in the river, no matter what comes our way, uh, instead of allowing ourselves to get overwhelmed by what or who we perceive is against us, we can experience the river of life gloriously growing up, mounting up, and becoming majestic within us. And as it does, we find Emmanuel, God with us. And we also find God is for us. As Roman 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Hebrews 10, 35 says, so don't, Throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. With patient endurance, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Perfecting holiness. Again, it's, it's more of a process than an event. Uh, perfecting holiness is a journey of discovering and constantly becoming rather than a destination or an arrival point that we're aiming for. So let's stay the course. Let's finish our race, and let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus all the way. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you've called us, chosen us, and set us apart to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Thank you, Lord. You didn't just save us and leave us to figure it out on our own, but you're invested in our lives and you, you pour yourself into our lives each day and you woo us and you draw us more and more into your presence. Lord, we really do want to be people living with clean hands and a pure heart. You deserve to have a people on the planet living that way and we want to be some of those people. And Lord, this whole thing about perfecting holiness, we, we want to keep working at it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you're, you, the Holy Spirit, encourager on the days when we're not doing so well at it, that we'd be able to hear your voice saying, stay with it, stay with it, you'll get it. Go ahead and get up, that's all right, I got you. Go ahead, let's go. That you would keep drawing our attentions and our affections into this process, that we would stay engaged, that, that as you reveal things in our lives that don't need to be there, that we would just quickly cut them off and be done with those things, that, that we no longer uh, be drawn into stuff that's defiling us and those that we love and those around it, that we would stay away from the, thing, the so-called neutral things and be fully invested, engaged in ways that bring you honor and bring you glory. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for uh, teaching us more and more about working out our salvation. Thank you for the grace and the strength to do it every day. And we affirm and thank you that your grace is always sufficient for every one of our needs. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.